Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Let's get into uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, by faith, the next statement that's made in Hebrews 11. It says this, it was by faith that the people of Israel went through the Red Sea. Will you say that with me? Went through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel went through the Red Sea. Now, like Abraham and like Sarah, I love that Israel made it into the list of people who lived by faith. Because if you've been studying the Bible for any length of time, you know that those folks probably do not belong in the list of faithful folks. They made a ton of mistakes. They got rejected from the promised land because of their mistakes. And yet they are included in this list of faithful people, which again reminds us, as we've been reminded a number of times in this chapter, that God will continue to use broken and frail and messed up and sometimes doubting people to build his kingdom on the earth, of which we should all celebrate. Hallelujah to all the righteously ratchet folks in the room. Yes. I love that Israel made it into this list. Now, this, this is a pretty epic story that probably most of us in the room would be familiar with. Even if you're not a student of the Bible, I think many of us have, whether seen the movies or, you know, heard the proverbial sayings about the splitting of the waters. But for anyone who may have never heard of this before, let me give you a very condensed version because context for this story is going to be necessary as we apply the sermon to our lives today. Uh, the story goes like this. After uh, a series of miraculous uh, events and supernatural plagues, uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, finally decides to let the Israelites, some two million of them, of them who've been enslaved for 400 years, uh, he allows them to leave the land of slavery, to leave Egypt. And as the Israelites leave Egypt and they make their way into the wilderness, uh, Pharaoh decides shortly thereafter that he'd like to drag them back into slavery. He changes his mind, he has a change of heart, and he sends out his troops to go and gather the Israelites to bring them back to slavery. And the scene we're about to read here in a moment is the scene where the Israelites are standing on the shores of the Red Sea. And on one side of the sea is the freedom and the promise that God has for them. But behind them is this pressing enemy, an enemy that's trying to chase them down and drag them back to where they came from. And, and we'll pick up in Exodus chapter 14. Uh, I chopped this up a little bit for brevity, so don't try to follow it in your Bible. You can follow it on the screen, but it says this. Uh, the Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near a city I can't pronounce across from another city I can't pronounce. Uh, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get her moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And then Moses raised his hand over the sea. The Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind so the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. When the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again and the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back to its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned, they covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one of them survived. Come on, that's an epic story. They should make a movie out of it. They have actually. 
Uh, there's a lot there to unpack. My heart is full. I got a lot to say. So I want to pray and get into this. Uh, and if you're the note-taking type, I want to call this chat, I'm going through it. I'm going through it. In fact, why don't you turn to someone real quick next to you and just tell them, I'm going through it. I'm going through it. I'm going through it right now. I'm going through it today. I'm going through it. I like it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us today from your word. Thank you for uh, the promise of scripture. Even as we sang earlier, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Um, even as Israel walked through this path in the middle of the sea, your word has the power today to guide our steps, to direct us as you'd have us walk. And so our hearts are open. Our minds are open to receive from you. Speak to us today before we leave this place. And the church said, amen, amen. Uh, I suspect that there is probably no feeling more unsettling than the feeling of being followed by somebody. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but when someone is chasing you down, when someone is following you, especially if you do not know their intentions, it can freak you out a little bit. Um, I don't know if this has happened, but for me, I've, I've, it's happened to me a couple of times. It's late at night and I'm driving and all of a sudden I've gone through a few stoplights, made a few turns, and I realize that the same car has been behind me for a little bit of time. And so your mind starts wondering like, okay, who is this? What do they want with me? And, and you do what we all do. You dodge down a couple of streets and run a few stoplights to see if you can like lose the tail, but they still are behind you. And you're like, okay, great. This is how I die. This is how I, someone chases me in the middle of the night. Or uh, if you've ever gotten off of uh, Muni or public transit, one of the buses late, I know some of you are too bougie to ride that, but for the rest of us who use public transit, uh, you get off late at night, it's 11 o'clock and you're getting off the train and you start walking away from the train station and you notice that someone is also walking behind you and you don't logically think, oh, they were just on the same train as me. They're probably going in the same direction. You're like, they're following me. They're gonna take me out. And so you pick up the pace a little bit, you know? And then they're still catching up. And so you pretend like you were just going out on a light jog in the middle of the night. Yeah, it, I, so it always happens at night. You always feel like you're getting followed at night. It is an unsettling feeling. But that, that feeling is only amplified when you are confident. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the person behind you intends to harm you. If they want to take you out, it'll freak you out with someone following you. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we were down on Market Street coming out of the Westfield Mall. And uh, our children were with us. And um, as we walked out of the mall, I noticed a guy who was following uh, a young lady and he was obviously on drugs and he was messing with her and harassing her. And there's two kinds of people in the world. I'm the kind of guy that always does something about that. I can't just stand by and watch that sort of thing. So I always insert myself into that situation. My wife looked at me and she knew that I was about to do something. So we had kind of this unspoken moment and she takes our kids to the other side of a crosswalk so that they don't get caught in the crosshairs of my altercation. And then I walk up to this guy who's on drugs chasing this lady and I grab him by the collar of his jacket and I said, hey, he looks at me. He's kind of freaking out. I said, leave her alone. She obviously doesn't want anything to do with you. And the girl smiles at me and kind of nods and thanks me. And she runs off in the other direction. And then it's me and this guy. <sighs> Thank you. Uh, now, if, if that's where the story ended, we could move on in the sermon. But unfortunately, I made a very stupid statement to this individual. Uh, I, I looked at him at that point. I said, if you want to follow somebody and harass them, you can follow me. And he was obliged to take me up on my invitation. So he gets one of those like kind of drug-induced demonic smiles on his face. And he just starts coming in my direction, looking at me. And it's at this moment that I realize his hand has been in his pocket the entire time. And he is clinging to something that I can only assume is a knife that he intends to unleash on me. And so I have one of those like play the movie forward kind of moments where you see the headline. And I'm like, 
local pastor assaults homeless man and is stabbed in the process. And I'm like, I don't like this headline. So, so I do what any self-respecting man would do in a very similar situation. I run. <laughs> so so I, I take off and I'm running away from this guy. And Stabby McStabberson is following me, you know, with his hand in his pocket. And I get to the crosswalk where my wife and kids are on the other side and I have a bit of a Red Sea moment. There's a, one of those red hands telling me I can't walk and there's traffic coming across and on one side is everything that I've ever wanted and on the other side is an enemy that's pursuing me and I'm like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? I'm like banging on the thing. Finally, like the last moment, the little you know, white walking guy shows up and I cross and just before, just before he was allowed to come into traffic, the hand turned red again and my enemy was kept on the other side of the street. Crisis averted, pastoral integrity intact. Yes, thank you. Now, I don't know why I told you that story. No, I tell you that story because maybe you've never been followed by a car late at night. Maybe you've never been followed by someone off the train. Maybe you've never even taken the train. Uh, maybe you've never been chased by a drug-induced guy on Market Street. But I want to suggest something to all of us in the room, specifically those who have made a decision to follow Jesus and have surrendered their lives to him. I want to suggest that you know exactly what it feels like to be chased down by someone who intends to harm you. You know exactly what it feels like to feel like someone is on your heels trying to take you out. The Bible calls him Satan. His job description is to steal, to kill, and destroy everything that God wants to do in your life. And rest assured, he is not passive about chasing you down. He is actively pursuing you because he wants to do the same thing that the Egyptians wanted to do to the Israelites. He wants to drag you back from whence you came. He wants to take you back into the old mindsets and the old sin patterns and the old brokenness. Everything that represented your life before Christ, the enemy wants nothing more than to drag you back into the thick of it. In fact, let me say it bluntly. He wants to make you a slave again. The Bible says in Romans chapter six that before Christ, we were all slaves to sin. Sin had mandated how we live our lives. It dictated the decisions we made and the way that we thought. And Satan wants nothing more than to slap the shackles of slavery back onto every single one of the believers in this room and drag you back to your own version of Egypt. But while you have a pursuing enemy, you also have a liberating God. One who says of himself in John chapter eight, whom I set free is in fact free indeed. Not for a week, not for a month, not for a year, only to go back into their own patterns of sin, their old ways of thinking, but once and for all. Por siempre, you have been set free. Come on, someone say amen. However, that freedom is predicated on an act of faith. It doesn't just passively happen to you. It requires your involvement in the process. And that act of faith is what we witness here in Exodus 14. It's the same act of faith that Hebrews 11 is referring to. And if we are going to experience the reality, the Israelites, where their enemies were buried in the waters and they were free to step into what God had for their future, then we need to do as they did. So, I want to come back to this story for a few moments and just unpack what are we looking at here as the Israelites walk through, they go through the Red Sea. This whole story starts out with kind of an, an interesting interaction between God and his people. Uh, Moses is standing at the shores of the Red Sea and he's got a few million Israelites behind him. And 
as they're standing there and they're aware of an enemy pursuing, they begin to cry out to God. It's prayer, if you will. God, help. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to get taken out. And in the midst of crying out to God, God offers what seems to be a pretty insensitive response to his people. Look at what he says again in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Why, why are you praying to me right now? Tell the people to get moving, pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Does that seem like an odd response to God, uh, from God to his people? Why are you talking to me about it right now? Because you're God, that's why? But, but I love this response. It, it actually resonates with my emotionally challenged personality. God's like, hey, quit crying and just do something about it already. Like, get moving. Now, now to be clear, God is nothing like me. Thank you, Jesus. He's not just angry in heaven like, why are you guys just sitting around there crying? What, what's being displayed in this situation is in fact a principle, a principle that I think all of us need to be aware of if we're going to walk through what God is calling us to walk through. And if you're a note taker, you can write this down. What we see here is that sometimes talking keeps you from walking. Let that sink in for a moment. Sometimes talking can keep you from walking. Have you ever noticed and it's a lot easier to talk about bondage than it is to actually walk out in freedom. You ever notice there's some people that just love to talk and post and tweet and complain and stew in their own little world of pain and hurt and addiction, but they never want to actually do anything to get free? It could be sitting right in front of them on a silver platter. Here, here's what to do. The steps are laid out clear. You got people that want to help you. But sometimes people would just rather talk than walk. They don't want to do anything about their situation, which makes me wonder sometimes, do you really want freedom or do you just want sympathy? Because some people just want to know that you care, but they really don't want to actually get free. Do, do you really want my help or do you just want company? <laughs> in your own little pit, in your own little, because misery loves company, doesn't it? Slavery loves company. And sometimes people just want to drag you in to their own dark situations, but they never really want to get free. They'll talk about it, but they won't walk it out. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but be careful how much you talk without walking, because you might find yourself talking yourself right out of what God has for your future. Be careful how freely we talk. Be more concerned of how we're walking. In fact, let me, let me take it a bit further. And this might sound like heresy, but I think we see it in this story. Be careful how much you're praying and not doing anything. Sometimes praying can keep you from walking. <gasps> Pastor, are you saying, yeah. Think about this story. Who are they talking to? They're talking to God. They're praying. God, help us. And what does God say? Hey, shut up and start doing something about the situation you find yourself in. God says, stop praying and start moving. I wonder how many of us are just allowing prayer to become our excuse for inaction because we've hyper-spiritualized the situation. I'm just praying about it. I'm just praying. When you could actually do something about it instead of praying about it. 
Now, if that sounds too crass, then I will defer to my great friend, Chuck Spurgeon, who uh, says it far more poetically. He says, there's a time for praying, but there's also a time for holy activity. I love that. Prayer is adapted for almost every season, yet not prayer alone, for there comes every now and then a time when even prayer must take a secondary place. Sometimes we can't just pray about it. We actually have to do something about it. May we not be people that get stuck on the shore of our own Red Seas while we're praying and talking and God is saying, start moving. Do something about that situation. I've already opened it up to you. Do something about it. Now, again, we'll talk about that more next week. So just tuck that into your little pocket for next week and we'll come back to it. For today, God says to Moses and the people, get moving. And Moses takes this staff that God has entrusted him and he stretches, them out, stretches it out over the waters. And it says in that moment that something supernatural, something never seen before takes place. That God creates a dry pathway in the middle of the Red Sea. That two walls of water stand up on either side of the Israelites. And an invitation is made for them to walk through what was once a barrier. To walk through. And there comes the moment of faith. Will they stay stuck on the shore as they look at their opportunity but don't step into it? Or will they walk through it? And that seems like an easy answer, an easy response. Like if something like that happened, sure, we'd walk through it. But can you just put yourself in their sandals for just a moment? Like this is a bit of a freaky situation. (laughs) There's two walls of water. They've never seen anything like this before. This is the first aquarium in human history, all right? You've got octopi and whales and fish just swimming next to you, but there's no glass. And God is asking them to step into these two walls of water. That takes some faith. It's never happened before. And yet we are told, according to Hebrews 11, that by faith, These Israelites, they walked through the Red Sea. By faith, they went through it. Now, I want to have that kind of faith. I want us to have that kind of faith. And I think what they understood, something we must understand if we're going to go through what God is opening up for us, is this simple thought. Again, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. As they stood on those shores, here's what they understood. Every shore is a door. Every shore is a door. Uh, I will invite my Vanna Whites over here to bring this door to the stage. My prop game on lock today, all right? Solid. Now, listen carefully. In this life of faith, you are going to find yourself standing at a number of Red Sea shores. You follow Jesus for any length of time, you are going to find yourself standing in a space where God is opening up a door to you and asking, are you ready to walk through? Are you ready to step into what I have on the other side of that door? Every shore is a door, but in front of you might be opportunity, yet behind you, there is still an enemy that wants to drag you back. There is still a pursuing Egypt that wants to drag you back into slavery. And as you stand in this space over and over and over again as a person of faith, you're going to have to decide, will I stay here or will I walk into what God has for my future? Will I 
Will I stand on the shores of freedom and walk through that door by being, by being honest with somebody about where I'm at, by telling them the dark spaces in my heart and all the stuff I'm struggling through? Or will I keep it to myself only to find that because I wasn't allowing light to touch the darkness in my life, I get drugged back into the slavery of addiction and patterns and coping mechanisms of my past? Am I going to stand on the shore and step through the door of generosity that God is making available to me and receive his provision on the other side of that door? Or am I going to allow the enemies of, of greed and of fear and lack of not enough and allow those things to drag me back into the same broken mindsets my parents had and their parents had that kept them in a space where they never got to experience the provision of God? Am I going to walk through the door of God's purpose and calling on my life? Behold, I have good plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Am I going to step into those plans by prioritizing the call of God on my life? Or am I going to stay stuck on the shore only to be pursued by the enemy of status and title that drags me back into the rat race of hustle in the Bay Area where I pick up my head a decade from now only to find that I've been building something that never sat satisfied and I never stepped into what he truly had for my life. I got all the accolades and the titles and the paychecks, but I am empty on the inside. Am, am I going to stay here or am I going to go through the door? Because listen, what, what we may not like to admit, but we need to be reminded of, if every shore is a door, doors don't just open doors also close. Opportunities get missed. Seasons of time never get recovered. Let, let me share a truth that is probably not very popular, but one we need to be reminded of. There is such a thing as missed opportunities in God. Yes, he's a redeemer. Yes, he's the one who, who restores, but there are some moments in time you just never get back. Opportunities you will never get back. The Bible calls them kairos moments. It's a Greek word that means a window of opportunity, a portion of time that will never be recovered. And if you do not step through the door that God is opening up to you, that moment of time will close. That opportunity will pass. And let me be clear, this is not because God is just some petty cosmic power in heaven saying, well, if you're not gonna go through the door I opened up for you in the time that I told you to do it, well, then you're never gonna have freedom and you're never gonna have provision. It's not it at all. The reason those doors close is because remember, you got an enemy chasing you down and eventually that enemy will catch up if you let them. If Israel had just stood on those shores and never stepped through the sea, eventually Egypt catches up to them and drags them back into slavery. And if we are not careful, we will get stuck staring at an opportunity, thinking that it will be there forever, only to find ourselves overtaken by the enemy and drugged back from the area we came from. No, every shore is a door and we have to step through it. Let me be the voice of urgency for just a moment because I think that a lot of people are standing somewhere right now. Do not vacillate. Do not sit there forever thinking that that opportunity is going to be available forever. If you're on the shore, go through the door, okay? Let's say that together. If you're on the shore, go through the door. That's brand new. I didn't say that to nine o'clock, all right? That's my rap song for the 11 o'clock. If you're on the shore, go through the door. You're a great rapper, Tim. No. Now, I would be remiss if I did not take this opportunity, talking about open doors, to discuss one more that I think is 
a little relevant right now in the Father's house. Actually, something that is uniquely significant to the text that we are unpacking today as it relates to the Israelites walking through the Red Sea. And that is the door of baptism. I think there's a lot of people in the Father's house that find themselves standing on the shore, standing in front of the door of baptism, wondering whether or not they're going to step through. In fact, let me show you how this has something to do with what we're talking about. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he says this, For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So according to Paul, this Red Sea moment is not just a historical event. It's a type and picture of what takes place in the life of a believer when they are water baptized. So, so let's unpack that a little bit. Um, if you are, if you've been attending our church for any length of time, more than a month, you know that baptisms are a big deal to us here at the Father's House. We baptize people every single Sunday as we did during worship uh, after the first song here at the Father's House. And it's probably one of my favorite parts of the service, getting to watch people to share their stories and explain how God set them free and how they're stepping into new life in him. It's a powerful time every single Sunday. Um, but if you've been coming for maybe a month or so, this might've been the first Sunday that you witnessed somebody get baptized. And that's because for about the last month, we have not been baptizing anybody here at the Father's house, not for lack of desire, but for lack of people stepping through that door. And fair warning, this is gonna be a little bit of a pastoral moment here. So just let's, we'll brace for it if we can. That's alarming to me. It's alarming to me that, that people are not stepping through this door. And let me explain why that's alarming to me. It's alarming to me because the most important metric we have to determine whether or not we're doing what God is asking us to do it as a church is baptisms. It's whether people are taking their next step of faith. In fact, let me take it a step further. The most important metric to gauge whether or not Robin and I are doing what God has asked us to do as leaders is baptisms. It is, it is the truest gauge of our, leader, our leadership. It might be easy to look around the Father's house, even now, and look around the room and go, wow, it's full, there's a lot of people, and the parking lot is full, and new faces every week, and financial report is strong, and we've got money in the bank, we're preparing ourselves to buy a permanent facility hopefully this year, and there's a lot of things that look like success. Metrics that if we measured by human uh, efforts, they would look like, wow, we're really doing some great stuff around here. But those are not the metrics that God uses for success. And if they're not God's metrics, they can't be our metrics. The, the metrics that God cares about are the ones that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 28. He did not say, go therefore and build crowds. He did not say, go therefore and amass large bank accounts or buy Masonic buildings. He didn't even say, at the conclusion of your service, see how many hands you can have go up in the air and people saying, oh, I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus. He said, go therefore and make disciples. And then to clarify what he meant about that, he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if every other metric is growing, but baptisms are shrinking, then friends, we are not winning. We are failing as a church. In fact, let me personalize it. I am failing as a pastor if people do not sense the urgency in taking their next steps through water baptism. And I'm ready to own that. So let me take a moment and do better if I can for just a second. 
Because I think that there are some people, in fact, I know there are some people who have yet to step through this door. And let me say as clearly as I possibly can, the Bible says repent and then be baptized. It does not say repent and then wait eight and a half years until you feel worthy enough for baptism and then get baptized. It is an immediate and subsequent act to salvation. This is your immediate next step. Let me tell you the lie the enemy uses over and over and over again to keep you from going through that door. The lie is that you have to clean yourself up and you have to stop sinning. And once you've stopped sinning and you've cleaned yourself up, then you qualify to go through the doors of baptism. And sadly, that is perpetuated in bad teaching at churches all around the globe. But let me just ask you a very obvious question. Do you get clean before you get into the bathtub or are you clean after you get out of the bathtub? No, the bathtub is the place where you get clean. And we do not step into the waters once we are already clean. We find the cleansing we need in the waters of baptism. It comes through baptism. There's so many people waiting for this day of freedom where they're, they're not experiencing the same stuff they were experiencing in their past and they're walking in freedom long enough that they feel like they qualify. Friends, that day just never comes. You will find yourself waiting until you end up in the grave because the freedom you are looking for is not found on the shore. It is found as you walk through the doors of baptism where you join Christ in his death and then you join him in his resurrection power as you come up out of the waters. And as it was for Israel, so it is for you. Their reality can be your reality. What happened? Their enemies were buried in the water once and for all. And Paul says that this is a type and picture of what baptism is supposed to be. So when you go down into those waters, the enemies of addiction and the enemies of your past and those things that want to drag you back to who you once were, they are put to death and executed in the waters so that you can walk out in new freedom in Christ. This is the next step. I, I, I do not want anyone to feel comfortable in the Father's house, standing at the shore of baptism and not walking through that door. So let me make it abundantly clear. If you've been waiting there, stop. <laughs> not because someone's pressuring you to do it. Come on, you've made a decision to follow Jesus and he's inviting you into freedom. And why would we wait on freedom any longer than we have to? It's available to us, so let's walk through that door. Amen? Amen. 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 So whether it's baptism, or it's generosity, or it's freedom, or it's calling, there's a door. Every one of us is standing in front of a door. And, and, and what you desire is on the other side of that door. But as we conclude, I'm out of time here, and let me throw one more thought out there. There's something else waiting for you on the other side of that door that I think all of us desperately want as followers of Jesus. And that's a statement that's gonna sound a little bit like Adele, but I'm gonna go with it anyway. There's an amen on the other side. Amen on the other side. Yeah, you got it. There's an amen on the other side. Let me invite the band to come as we conclude and let's look at this last scripture together. Exodus 14:31. At the conclusion of this story, as the enemies are buried in the waters, this is what's written. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Now, at face value, that might sound like a contradicting statement to Hebrews 11. Because remember, we read in Hebrews 11, that by faith, the Israelites 
walked through the Red Sea. But here, Exodus 14 says that when they had walked through and seen God bury their enemies, then they put their faith in the Lord. Which begs the question, which was it? Was it faith that caused them to go through or was it faith that they received on the other side once they witnessed God's power? And the simple answer is, yes, it was both. There was faith involved in both of these things. This, this word for faith that is used in Exodus 11 is the word aman. And it means to be firmly established, to stand firm, to trust, or to be certain. Firmly established, stand firm, trust, be certain, aman. Aman is where we get the English word, amen. When, when you finish praying and you say, amen, or when somebody is saying something from a stage that you find inspiring and you say, amen, what you're saying is, may that truth be firmly established in my life. I believe what's being said. I believe that what I just prayed is the will of God. I'm standing on it. It's the truth. May it be firmly established in my life. Amen. Amen. So yes, it took faith for the Israelites to walk through the waters. But according to this, something happened to their faith when they got on the other side. Their faith got an amen. Their faith was more firmly established, steadfast. They went from standing on sand to standing on bedrock. There was a stability there. Amen. Your faith needs an amen. My faith needs an amen. We need a stability that is not governed by what's taking place in the world around us, but a foundation that is unshakable regardless of the world's circumstances. We need a faith that is steadfast through every season every war, every jobless moment, every sickness, everything that this world has to throw at you, we need a faith that has an amen, a faith that is stable. And I think many of us, we wait at this sand red seashore, hoping that God will zap us with that kind of faith so that we can walk through the doors that he's opening up to us. But what this story tells us is that that kind of faith never comes on the shore. It's never available before we step into what God has for us. No, that kind of faith, the amen kind of faith is available on the other side of obedience, which means if we are standing here today, we can't stay there any longer. We have to go through it. We must go through it. My prayer for you today is that by faith, you'd make this statement, I'm going through it. I'm going through the door that God is opening up to me and I'm not standing in front of it any longer. That's my invitation. That's the Holy Spirit's invitation today. In fact, let's pray along those lines as we conclude today. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Let's just, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us for a sec. Reveal Holy Spirit to each one what door they find themselves standing in front of right now. I pray for those that have maybe been standing in front of it for a while and they're even watching as that window begins to close, as that door begins to close, give them the faith to step through it right now. The door of forgiveness, 
the door of calling, whatever it looks like, just as you reveal to each one, I pray that by faith they'd go through it. Maybe there's someone here today, maybe multiple people here today who'd say, hey, the, the shore I'm standing on, the door I find myself in front of is the door of surrender to entrust my life to Jesus. I'm not walking with him right now. I've been at a distance and I know that I need salvation. That's the door that's being opened up to me. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's made that door wide open and available to every one of us. And if you find yourself today at a distance from him, he's calling from the other side of the, sh of the shore. Hey, come, come walk in my direction. I have everything you need. And if that's you this morning, you'd say, I'm, I'm at a distance from God and I don't wanna stay there any longer. I wanna invite you to walk through that door. I'm gonna say a very simple prayer with you, but before I pray, no one's looking around. You just quickly slip your hand up and look at me if that's you and say, Tim, I, I need to pray that prayer. I need to walk through that door today and come to Jesus. Thank you, got you, bro, in the back. Yeah, I got you right there, awesome. Yeah, right there, ma'am, awesome. Yeah, right there, awesome. Right off, yeah, yeah, right on. I got you in the, all the way in the back there. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's walk through it together. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a very simple prayer and you just repeat in your heart after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I choose to step over that line, to walk into relationship with you. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk in your ways and to be your disciple from this moment forward till that that moment where we meet in eternity and you look me in the eye and because of this moment, this decision today, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's set before you. I love you. I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's praise God for those making that decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.